mentioned earlier, today we're kicking off our annual stewardship campaign, which is a, a vitally important moment in the life of the church each year. Over the coming weeks, we are going to be focusing on our mission statement, loving God, serving others, transforming lives. But before we get into our specific subject for today, I want to start by talking about the idea of stewardship because it's a, a foundational theological concept in the Judeo-Christian tradition. The most helpful uh, definition that I have found for stewardship is this one. It's from Merriam-Webster. Uh, stewardship is the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. Now, in terms of Christian discipleship, uh, when we're talking about stewardship, we're talking about how we use our money and our time and our talents. We believe that these gifts have been entrusted to our care by God and that we're to use them to partner with God in the building of God's kingdom. For Christians, of course, that kingdom building happens in the context of the local church, which means that uh, every follower of Christ is called to be a careful steward of our time, our money, our talents, uh, specifically with the mission of building and supporting our local congregation. Now, this theological concept of stewardship uh, goes back literally to the beginning of our faith. This is not a new idea. Uh, to set the biblical stage, the, the first appearance of the idea of tithing, which is giving 10% of our resources, shows up in Genesis chapter 14, verse 20, uh, when Abraham establishes the practice. It's kind of remarkable, really. Just two chapters into our salvation history, which begins in Genesis 12 with the call of Abraham, this concept of stewardship is introduced. Uh, this theology is then codified in the law of Moses. It's a consistent theme throughout the rest of the Old Testament, which means that it is a spiritual practice that Jesus knew well in the first century. And we can be sure of that uh, because the subject of stewardship comes up pretty regularly in the ministry of Christ. Specifically, uh, money was not a subject that Jesus avoided. It shows up prominently, for example, in Jesus' most famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus tells his disciples parables about faithful stewardship throughout his ministry, faithful stewardship of what God has entrusted to us. In Luke, he says, for example, from everyone to whom much has been given, much will be required. And from the one to whom much has been entrusted, even more will be demanded. That's the uh, parable of the talents, actually. Stewardship was an important uh, concept in the earliest years of the church as well. In those first decades after the resurrection, the apostle Paul encouraged generosity, writing to the church in Corinth, a famous verse that is cited perhaps most frequently by preachers every year at stewardship time, God loves a cheerful giver. If you're a preacher and you don't quote that during stewardship time, are you even trying? <laughs> no. And the author of 1 Peter, says this, uh, like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. All of which is to say, uh, the bottom line, <laughs> pun intended there, is that the subject of stewardship has always been an integral part of the fabric of Judeo-Christian spirituality and practice. The question that we're going to be exploring in this series is what stewardship means for us here at Christ United as we look ahead to the 2022 year of ministry. As you are well aware, this is now the second stewardship campaign that we're doing in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. I do not know of a single church uh, in, of any size in any place 
that has not been negatively impacted by the pandemic in terms of both attendance and giving. Now, our congregation remains strong, to be sure, but as we dream about and as we plan for the, the post-pandemic world, the ability of Christ United to continue to adapt, continue to respond, and continue to grow in new ways is entirely dependent upon the collective generosity of those of us who call this place home, which is to say, uh, we will determine what legacy we leave for our kids and our grandkids. So with all of that uh, as preamble, we're gonna turn our focus now to the mission of our congregation. And to guide us, we're gonna be reading from the Gospel of Mark. This is the first gospel to have been written. Our passage today is one of the lectionary texts for this season. Uh, it comes actually very, very late in Jesus' ministry, in the last week before his death. So Jesus has uh, ridden into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday, and a couple of days have passed. From the narrative, uh, it seems as though on Tuesday, just two days before his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus goes to the temple to teach when he is um, confronted by religious leaders who give him a series of kind of hostile questions. Uh, first, according to Mark, some Pharisees and Herodians uh, try to trip him up with a question about taxes, and then some Sadducees try to trip him up with a question about the resurrection. We're gonna skip over those two passages. It's after his exchange with the Sadducees that we're gonna pick up the story. So this is Mark chapter 12, we're gonna read verses 28 to 34, and then we'll come back and read a little bit more later. Listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the evangelist Mark. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher, you have truly said that he is one and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared ask him any question. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There are plenty of doctrines of the Christian faith. There are lots of things that we believe as followers of Christ. We could spend several sermon series dissecting the Apostles' Creed, for example, or the longer Nicene Creed with their specific descriptions about the three persons of the Trinity and about how Christ is both fully human and fully divine and some of the other particular issues that were extremely important to early church theologians. God only knows how much intellectual and philosophical energy has been expended and how much ink has been spilled through the centuries in pondering the Christian faith. All of us could spend our entire lives reading books about Christian theology, its depth and its nuances, and still uh, we would only begin to scratch the surface of the mysteries of God. 
And every bit of that, I believe, is wonderful and important. Lifelong learning about our faith is a noble and blessed pursuit for sure. But in the midst of our day-to-day lives, after we've placed our faith in Christ and, and committed to follow his way, what we really need to know is the answer to the eminently practical question of how God calls us to live today. And in our first scripture passage, in the closing hours of Jesus' ministry, he, he answers that very practical question. Mark tells us that uh, as Jesus is teaching in the temple, there's a scribe who is impressed by the way he handles himself with uh, the questions from the Pharisees and the Herodians and the Sadducees, those, those scholars and religious leaders who have tried to test him and tried to trip him up with really confrontive questions. And so, uh, in true rabbinic style, this scribe asks him a serious question. This is not a trick question. Uh, he really wants to know. Realizing that Jesus is a formidable teacher, he asks him an oft-pondered question in first century rabbinic Judaism. How would Jesus summarized the 613 commandments of the law. The law of Moses is a very comprehensive set of do's and don'ts. It's intended to guide faithful living. This scribe wants to know what Jesus believes are the essentials. And if you've been around the church very long, you probably are familiar with this summary. Um, He summarizes the law, Jesus does, into two commandments, practical advice for day-to-day Christian living. The second commandment is a citation of Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, love your neighbor as yourself. We're actually gonna talk about that next week, so we'll come back to it. The first great commandment is our subject for today. According to Jesus, the first commandment is what uh, is known in the Jewish tradition as the Shema, which is the the Hebrew word for hear, and that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. This is a, a prayer that is prayed every day in the Jewish tradition. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Jesus is clear. Practically speaking now, there's a lot of things that we believe There's a lot of doctrines that we dissect and spend time analyzing and living into, but practically speaking, the Christian life is about loving God and loving neighbor. The question for us, of course, is how we respond to that first commandment, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength, and with all our soul. What does that specifically look like in our lives? Well, it seems to me that you you can't answer that question without uh, starting with one of the oldest spiritual disciplines of our faith, a practice that is literally as old as Abraham, good stewardship of the money and the time and the talents that God has entrusted to us, which is to say, in our response to God's love and grace, we are called to practice the careful and responsible management of what has been entrusted to our care. And uh, as it turns out, Jesus has more to say about that, specifically on the subject of money. So we're going to jump a few verses down. This is still in that same setting in the temple a couple days before his death. This is a very famous passage you may have heard, uh, often referred to as the story of the widow's might. Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. Listen again, friends, for God's word. 
Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Amen. Very few people have the opportunity to uh, be part of starting a new congregation. Being a charter member of a church is a, it's a rare blessing, a rare challenge. As many churches as I've been a part of over the years, I've never done it myself. Christ United uh, was founded 48 years ago, and I've had the chance to talk with some of the, the families who were part of founding this congregation, as well as the charter members of the first church I served, Arapahoe United Methodist Church, just down the road in Richardson. That was founded a few years before Christ United. And it's fascinating talking to charter members of congregations. They, they tend to speak with, uh, rightfully so, with tremendous pride and gratitude about their experience. And what you hear uh, when you talk with founding members of a church is that it requires an extremely high level of commitment uh, by all those involved. In those early building years, there is a clear connection between the stewardship of money, time, and talents and the ultimate success of the church. And it's not just uh, the case with planting a new church. It's the same with major building projects like when we moved to this campus 25 years ago, which, which I know many of you uh, helped accomplish. And then when we built this sanctuary uh, 10 years ago, along with the, the north side of the campus, which even more of you participated in. The chance to be part of building something new is both incredibly demanding and incredibly rewarding. It can be very stressful. It's also very energizing for those who are blessed to be part of it, and it requires just a tremendous amount of commitment by the community of faith to make it work. As Jesus sat uh, teaching in the temple uh, just days before his earthly ministry came to an end, I think it's telling that he took the opportunity to teach about financial stewardship. Now, uh, the temple was not in the midst of a building project at that point, but the Christian movement was about to be. And as he observed people making their contributions to the temple, he made what I personally believe uh, is the most fundamental point about generosity. So Jesus uh, watches people approach and give to the collection. He watches those with financial means uh, place large sums in the plate. Then he watches a, a destitute widow. That's literally what the uh, Greek says, destitute widow, give uh, two small copper coins, which were the, the smallest unit of money in circulation at the time. And the translation we read says that she gave all she had to live on, but the Greek there literally says she gave her whole life. And what I think is interesting about this text, uh, if you read it closely, Jesus neither condemns the rich nor does he praise the widow because nobody has asked to give everything they have as the widow did 
but neither are we asked to give only from what's left over after our wants and needs are met or out of our abundance, as Jesus puts it. It's fascinating to me that he does not issue a judgment on this subject. Instead, he uses this scene to make what I think is the crucial point, that the spiritual discipline of giving is first and foremost about our priorities. Our giving should be from our first fruits. It should be a priority in our lives. We're called to approach our financial generosity with intentionality. Uh, in the Judeo-Christian tradition, all of us are clearly called to the goal of the, the 10% tithe or beyond if we have the means. I mean, the reality is that for many Christians, that remains an unachieved goal. But whatever amount we're able to give in any particular season of our lives, the point is that it should reflect the careful and responsible management of the financial resources entrusted to our care. Now, we're not planting a church here at Christ United. Uh, those of us who are new to this place have, inc- have inherited an, in- an incredible church from those who have gone before. I'm very grateful to serve this community. And we're not in the midst of a, of a capital building campaign. Uh, we've got a beautiful campus that is in, um, incredibly well maintained uh, by those whose faithful stewardship are responsible for its upkeep. But here's the thing. We are in the midst of the biggest disruption to the church in any of our lifetimes. And there is not a single church of any size in any place that has not been negatively impacted by the pandemic, both in terms of attendance and giving. Now our congregation remains strong to be sure, but the point is that as we uh, dream about and as we plan for the the post-pandemic world, the ability of Christ United to continue to adapt, to continue to respond, to continue to grow in new ways is entirely dependent upon us. I've been around here long enough to personally believe that we've got our priorities straight as a community of faith. And that gives me tremendous confidence about what comes next. Uh, There's a Nigerian proverb that I think really nicely captures the spirit of Christ's teaching on money. It is the heart that does the giving. The fingers only let go. So friends, as we prayerfully consider what our giving will be for the coming year of ministry, uh, may our hearts be willing. May our, our fingers be open. And may we be blessed by a sense of both pride and gratitude that we get to be the stewards of this place that we all love. Thanks be to God. Amen.